Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast episode number 114. Today's big Bible question, what act of God brings incredible joy? Also we're going to talk about who was Mary Magdalene and why in the world was she the first witness of the resurrection? So hello everybody and happy Tuesday to you. I am at day 32 or 33 or 34, who knows, of my partial Nazarite vow. No beer and wine drinking is going okay, and I definitely have the haircut part down pat. I basically have this unruly mop on my head that will begin to look caveman-esque in about three days if it doesn't already. Unfortunately, though, I'm not doing so well on the rest of the fruit of the vine part as I eat a bowl of raisin bran with banana slices nearly every day, and raisins are definitely verboten for a Nazarite. So I suppose I'll just remain an Alabama-California hybrid with incredibly shaggy hair. Maybe you can relate to that. Anyway, today's Bible readings include Leviticus 25, Ecclesiastes 8, Psalms 32, and 2 Timothy 4. I want to give a shout out to my lovely son, John Cademan, who told me earlier today that he agreed with my decision to stop ending the podcast readings with Ecclesiastes because, and I quote, Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing, Dad. Yes, my son, yes it is. The good news, though, is that it gets better at the end, and that's kind of the point of the whole book. And sometimes it is the point of our lives as well. For those of us who are in Christ, no matter how bad things are now, it gets better at the end. Look, I know that's not an original or even an insightful statement, but what it lacks in freshness, it makes up for in hope and bedrock truth. So our focus passage today is from Psalms 32. Though i got to admit, I was kind of tempted by several things in 2 Timothy 4 that really drew my attention. Uh, I just didn't think I should do every podcast in a row in 2 Timothy. Maybe we will catch those things on the second read-through. Our big Bible question of the day, though, is all about forgiveness. How is forgiveness joyful? That is the act of God that brings great joy that we talked about in the title, but how does it bring joy? So let's read Psalm 32 and talk about the joy of forgiveness. This is Psalms 32, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous ones, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So there's a very simple but profound couplet of truths In the first part of Psalm 31 there, first, there's great joy, says the word of God, from the Lord for that person who realizes their sin, 
knows the damage and danger of that sin, knows the holiness of the Lord, and yet finds that God has, in mercy, forgiven their sin. Twice the psalmist here acknowledges the just absolute sheer joy of forgiveness. That is truth number one, and it's a really important truth for us now in pandemic quarantine times. The call of the Father is echoing all across the world right now. Repent and follow Jesus. For those that hear that call and do repent and follow Jesus, how joyful for them that their sins will be forgiven and not held against them. How joyful that they are not disqualified from eternal heaven, which is made only for the perfect, but they're not disqualified because their sin no longer counts against them. There is amazing, incredible joy and forgiveness. But don't miss that second great truth here too. And that is this, there is groaning and heaviness and weakness and ill health for those who hide their sins. Brothers and sisters, if you are hiding your sin right now, whatever it might be, pornography, alcoholism, abuse, outbursts of anger, gossip, slander, criticism, lying, complaining and grumbling, deceitfulness, cheating, stealing, whatever, how heavy that is on your soul. It makes your bones brittle and your heart weary and your whole body and soul are impacted. What's the answer? It's fairly simple. Confess to God and find joy from his forgiveness. Now, there's a major choice right now facing all of those who are concealing sin. Keep hiding it and nurturing it until it eats away every drop of strength and joy you have or kill it by confessing it to God and walk in the joy that comes from forgiveness. Sounds like an easy choice to me, right? And look, I say this as a man who struggled with pornography for over a decade in my younger days. Sin may be delightful for a moment, but concealed sin weakens you and eats at you and kills you slowly. On the other hand, confessed sin brings forgiveness and joy and depth of relationship with God the Father. Now, Mary Magdalene, switching gears just a little bit, is one of the most intriguing people in the entire Bible. She was a devoted follower of Jesus, and her love for him is so pronounced and so obvious in the Bible that it has actually produced a lot of speculation and even conspiracy theories and such that she loved Jesus in a romantic way. Here's the thing, though. I believe the truth is much more profound and deep than just a simple crush. Though the Bible does not explicitly say it, there's been a tradition in the church for almost 2,000 years that Mary Magdalene was a saved and redeemed prostitute. The tradition is so old that there honestly might be some truth to it, but we just can't know because the Bible never affirms or denies it. We do know, however, that Mary was delivered of seven demons by Jesus, which must have meant that she spent a significant portion of her life tortured by those same demons, and her reputation undoubtedly suffered from that trauma as well. We also know that Mary was the first person that Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection, the first person that he talked to post-resurrection. This is an incredible honor, and it could be said without a lot of exaggeration that Mary Magdalene was the first member of the original church of Jesus, the first witness to his resurrection and the first evangelist because she brought the good news to the disciples. Now, what does she have to do with forgiveness? Well, I hear you asking. Excellent question. Let's turn to New York pastor and writer Tim Keller to give us the remarkable answer. Keller says this, when you read the commentaries, an awful lot of the commentaries say the reason Mary Magdalene was there at the 
tomb of Jesus and she wouldn't go home and she stayed there was because she was hysterical. She was so emotional she couldn't see the angels through her tears. She was so hysterical she couldn't see Jesus was who he was. She was hysterical. That's not true, says Keller. The more I've been looking at this, it's not true at all. Absolutely not. By the way, he says in today's New York Times, there's an interesting article in the entertainment section by the New York Times religion writer in which somebody asked him, how do the angels depicted on TV sitcoms and shows compared with biblical angels? And the writer named Gustav Niebuhr says, not a lot at all. When most people see angels in the Bible, they are overwhelmed. And he's right. By the way, in Luke 24 and Mark 16, when the other women see these angels dressed brightly, and Mary saw they were bright, it says they were dressed in white. How do we know this? The only source of any of this information is from Mary herself. Mary remembers it. But when the other women saw these same angels, we're told, they fell to the ground. They were alarmed. The angels always had to say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But Mary looks at them. They ask a question and Mary says, I'm looking for Jesus. This is not hysteria. Hysterical people freak when they see things like this. This is not hysteria that is in Mary Magdalene. Then she talks to Jesus. Why doesn't she recognize Jesus? Because she's hysterical? No. We'll see as we go on through the resurrection accounts that nobody recognizes Jesus at first. His resurrection self means that he has been changed, though he's still himself and people have to look. Like if you look at somebody you haven't seen in a long time. Oh, it's you. She didn't recognize him, but here's what's interesting. She's not hysterical. She deduces, if this is the gardener, if this is the supervisor of the grounds, then nobody could have done a body snatching without his help, or at least his okay. He will know it. That's deduction. That's rational. She's not enraged and she's not hysterical. She says, sir, very steely. She doesn't say, where is he? She says, sir, if I personally have to go find the swollen, stinking, decayed body of my Lord, if I have to go find him and pick him up myself, I'm going to do that. So where is he? Do you know where he is? This is not a hysterical woman. This is a woman who is iron. This is a woman who is relentless. This is a woman who is a laser beam. She's a drill. She's going to get through anything. Angels schmangels, says Keller. Where's my Lord? Gardeners, I don't care. How did this happen? I'll tell you, says Keller. Jesus says it's simple arithmetic. Jesus himself says in Luke 7, the one who is forgiven much loves much. I want to press you on this. It's simple arithmetic. She loved him more than anybody else. And that's why she's still there. Everyone else is gone. It's the reason she came. It's the reason she hasn't left. It's simple math. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she was broken. She knew how big her debt to God was. She knew it. And Jesus has said, had said, you can be a child of God. This is the reason why Mary Magdalene's are chosen. This is the reason Mary Magdalene's are used. It's the people who know they're sinners. It's people who know the depth of their sin who love like this. Let me apply this to you, says Keller. For some of you, there's no joy or tears. There's no incredible confidence like Mary has. And there's no weeping either. Your religion is sort of a matter of duty. You've always been religious. You were raised in a church. You come to church now. That's not hysteria. Don't you dare look at this like that. This is love. This is relentlessness in Mary of Magdalene. This is doggedness. This is commitment born of grace. 
I'll tell you the reason that you don't have the joy of Mary, and I'll tell you the reason you're not used by God like Mary. I'll tell you why you're not changing people's lives like Mary. I'll tell you why you don't have this greatness of heart like Mary. This might sound very strange to modern New Yorkers, says Keller. The reason is you don't know you're a sinner. You are superficial in your understanding of your brokenness. Very often the Mary Magdalene's of the world who were addicted to sex and inner demons, they know. Do you know what a slave you are to sin? Do you know what a slave you are to achievement, to position, to status? Maybe in some cases to moral superiority. Do you realize you have hijacked your life just as much as Mary did? You're avoiding Jesus as Savior and Lord, even if you're using his, him as an example. Until we see ourselves as sinful as Mary saw herself, we're not going to be used. It's amazing. It's the Marys of the world that God uses and nobody really else. Well, you say, hey, I'm not a prostitute. I've never been one. I'm not a mental patient. I... I'm trying to say, says Keller, it's the Marys of the world or the people who know they're no different than the Mary Magdalene's of the world and those people who will be used the most. By the way, there's one other little footnote here. This second point is the divine priority of grace. And there's one other thing we'd better get through our heads by looking at Mary here. Jesus chose her first. What does this mean? It means Christians ought to every day try to get their snobbery out, throw it on the ground and stamp on it and try to kill it. The Bible says because of this dynamic, the people who know the least about God in ages past today and in ages to come will always be the people who are running things. This is a terrible thing for New Yorkers to hear. If you look down your nose at brothers and sisters who are beneath you in achievement, beneath you in education, beneath you in social status, beneath you in economic status, you're not just you're just not reading the Bible. Get your snobbery out throw it on the ground every day, trample on it, and think of Mary Magdalene and people like Mary Magdalene. So that's a pretty powerful and pointed word from Brother Tim Keller to his New York congregation and also to us, a great example of the joy and the love that overflows in the forgiven. Mary Magdalene was forgiven much and therefore she walked in this relentless joy and love for her Savior that made her essentially the first member of his church, the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus. So there is great joy in forgiveness and there is soul-eating groaning in the concealing of sin. I think I know which is the better road to travel down. I hope you see it too from the word. Let's go on and read Leviticus chapter 25 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. You are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. It is to be a year of complete rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you, for yourself, your male or female servant, and the hired worker or alien who resides with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, so that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month, 
You will sound it throughout your land on the Day of Atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim the freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. The fiftieth year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. In this year of Jubilee, each of you will return to his property. If you make a sale to your neighbor or purchase from him, do not cheat one another. You are to make the purchase from your neighbor based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. He is to sell to you based on the number of remaining harvest years. You are to increase its price in proportion to a greater amount of years and decrease its price in proportion to a lesser amount of years, because what he is selling to you is a number of harvests. You are not to cheat one another, but fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You are to keep my statutes and ordinances and carefully observe them so that you may live securely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit so that you can eat, be satisfied, and live securely in the land. If you wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce? I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest. You will be eating this until the ninth year when the harvest comes in. The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine, and you are only aliens and temporary residents on my land. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no family redeemer, but he prospers and obtains enough to redeem his land, he may calculate the years since its sale, repay the balance to the man he sold it to, and return to his property. But if he cannot obtain enough to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. It is to be released at the Jubilee so that he may return to his property. If a man sells a residence in a walled city, his right of redemption will last until a year has passed after its sale. His right of redemption will last a year. If it is not redeemed by the end of a full year, then the house in the walled city is permanently transferred to its purchaser throughout his generations. It is not to be released on the Jubilee, but houses and settlements that have no walls around them are to be classified as open fields. The right to redeem such houses stays in effect and they are to be released at the Jubilee. Concerning the Levitical cities, the Levites always have the right to redeem houses in the cities they possess. Whatever property one of the Levites can redeem, a house sold in a city they possess, is to be released at the Jubilee because the houses in the Levitical cities are their possession among the Israelites. The open pasture land around their cities may not be sold, for it is their permanent possession. If your brother becomes destitute and cannot cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as an alien or temporary resident so that he can continue to live among you. Do not profit or take interest from him, but fear your God and let your brother live among you. You are not to lend him your silver with interest or sell him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother among you becomes destitute and sells himself to you, you must not force him to do slave labor. Let him stay with you as a hired worker or temporary resident. He may work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released from you and he may return to his clan and his ancestral property. 
They are not to be sold as slaves because they are my servants that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You are not to rule over them harshly, but fear your God. Your male and female slaves are to be from the nations around you. You may purchase male and female slaves. You may also purchase them from the aliens residing with you or from their families living among you, those born in your land. These may become your property. You may leave them to your sons after you to inherit as property. You can make them slaves for life. But concerning your brothers, the Israelites, you must not rule over one another harshly. If an alien or temporary resident living among you prospers, but your brother living near him becomes destitute and sells himself to the alien living among you or to a member of the resident alien's clan, He has the rights of redemption after he has been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him. His uncle or cousin may redeem him, or any of his close relatives from his clan may redeem him. If he prospers, he may redeem himself. The one who purchased him is to calculate the time from the year he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee. The price of his sale will be determined by the number of years. It will be set for him like the daily wages of a hired worker. If many years are still left, he must pay his redemption price in proportion to them based on his purchase price. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, he will calculate and pay the price of his redemption in proportion to his remaining years. He will stay with him like a man hired year by year. A resident alien is not to rule over him harshly in your sight. If he is not redeemed in any of these ways, he and his children are to be released at the year of Jubilee. For the Israelites are my servants. They are my servants that I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 1. Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretations of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity there is a right time and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile. Because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly, The heart of the people is filled with a desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment, because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself, for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, 
he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience in teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that I might fully preach the word, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I let I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And dear brothers and sisters, Allow me to repeat that last blessing and salutation from Paul. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Godspeed.